God, drugs, laughs. I am Rob Christie. I'm Matt O'Rourke. Yeah, you are. And we are the hosts of this new, exciting, vibrant. Yeah. Could I say vibrant? Good thesaurus word. Yeah, sure. All right. So this is our first episode. We're really excited about this. We've been talking about doing this for ages. So Matt, why don't you go ahead and explain what God Drugs Laughs is going to be all about. Yeah, I really love that uh, we picked the title here and settled on this. I'll start with the big one, God. I uh, I think that's something that's very important to me and obviously you. And and uh, what is God? Who is God? And we seem to be in a society nowadays where a lot of people are trying to, to find out what that answer is. Yeah. And I uh, think it's very important. And whatever God looks like to us, what that is, you know, something greater than ourselves and and then there's drugs. Oh, and there are drugs. There are lots of drugs. Yeah. And again, our society, whether it's prescribed, over the counter, under the counter, behind the, the store's right. counter, it, it's we're surrounded by drugs. We would uh, never do drugs personally, but... <laughs> 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 well, that's not true. And then that, that leads us to laughs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think laughs, another thing that we've forgotten about. My gosh, I see so many people that just don't enjoy each other's company and laughs and stories and fun and cheerful. You know, we're here on life to have fun. And, uh, you know, if we can't do that on this journey, it's what are we doing? Yeah, I love that, man. Just the the idea of God, you know, just following up with the fact that we can have this platform where we can talk about those things and be okay with it. You yeah. know, we can disagree on things and we can have other people on that'll have ideas about God and, and learn from each other. I don't think there's a lot of that going on. No. And then, of course, drugs. Um, that's a big part of our stories. And so um, talk about that. We'll have some people on with their stories about drugs and recovery and redemption and then laughs. Yeah, just the art of storytelling. We When we get together, we usually can hang out for about two hours and not realize it because we're sharing stories, laughing, doing that's all that. That's just as long as I can take you. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, that's call true. what you want. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So thanks for joining us on our first episode. So I think to kick this off, maybe we should tell everybody how we met. Oh. The love story, yeah. the bromance, <laughs> where it all began. <laughs> Maybe I should well, say this. I, you know, I yeah, I don't know yeah. what you want to divulge. Well, I don't care. I'm going to be 100 percent honest on here. So Matt and I <laughs> met at Breakthroughs, which is an outpatient intensive outpatient rehab. Yeah. Is that right? It's good. You remember? Yeah. So. I had been there, and uh, I think I was there before Matt a few days, and then Matt walked in. Stumbled in. Stumbled in, yeah. (laughs) And then I just remember looking at you and going, hey, bro, we're going to be best friends. (laughs) I didn't ask you if you wanted to be my best friend. I just told you. (laughs) (laughs) When I see something I like, I take it. told me. Yeah, so I mean. And I knew you were weird then. Yeah. (laughs) But that's how, kind of how our story began. And this yeah. wasn't too long ago. What was this, two years ago, maybe? Two years and six months. Two years and six months. Roughly. Yeah. Actually, just over that. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So we got a but bunch of fun. <laughs> we got a bunch of fun stories about that. Um, and so we'll share those. But I think to kick it off, this episode, we will talk about your story, Matt. Okay. And then we will uh, go into mine next episode. Yeah. But before that, here's a word from our sponsor. Hey, roofers, feeling lonely? Need something to do? Come on down to Home Depot, where we have hot shingles looking to get nailed. And we are back, thanks to that kind sponsor. Please do not sue us. They're not really our sponsor. (laughs) Have you ever tried to, what is it, squeeze blood from the stone? No. (laughs) They can try and sue me if they want. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I figured a good place, since this is our first episode is to help people get to know us a little bit more. Yeah. And so we'll have you share your story. We were going to have callers, right? To ask questions, yeah. but then we realized we need listeners. That's true. And James our, from Idaho. Our families. Hi guys. I was just wondering if, uh, what, what do you think about God? Is, it, is God really there? We could do the, the good morning Vietnam voice thing. Hello, Mike. Oh, Chipper. <laughs> Wait, is that? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I'm Will I get in trouble if I do my Apu? Yeah, don't do you that. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, where are we going? Get All to right. know me? Is that what you want? 
So yeah, let's let's yeah. Uh, get to know you a little more. Can you tell us your story? Yeah, who you are, how you got here. Gosh, if I guess I'm, is this the power hour and put people to this sleep? Is. Man, make it entertaining. You know, well, for all intents and purposes, I'll try and keep it to the cliff note version of of God, drugs, and and laughs. Cause there you go. That <laughs> there's been a big part of that in my life, and. You know, for me growing up, I grew up Catholic. We'll talk about the God thing first, you sure. know, and briefly. Growing up, I grew up Catholic, and, you know, we went to Catholic Mass every Sunday and did some Sunday school, but, you know, I was a confused Catholic like most most of us <laughs> going, you know, the one thing I had down was the, the, when to stand, when to kneel, when to sit, and, and do my, uh, the, the gestures and whatnot. Sure. But, um, you know, I was baptized twice, so got a really confusing start. My yeah. mom's Methodist, my dad was Catholic, ah. and... Uh, Maybe why they got divorced after thirty years when 30 when, you, years. when you get your kid baptized twice, probably not a good foundation. Yeah. And when you have that fifth child, you're just like, I'm out. That's right. Yeah. I so I'm the youngest of five and the only boy. And so I had four mothers plus another mother and a grandmother. Uh-huh. So once you start doing that, it just the, the math gets ridiculous to where CPAs throw up. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I had a good childhood. My sisters are awesome. My my mother and father, I love them very much. My whole family's great. I grew up in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. Beautiful little beach community. Um, when I grew up there, it was a retirement community. So it was me and two other kids on the whole street. Nice. And, uh, you know, so it was real small. Um, fairly, fairly different growing up there with, you know, because the average person on the street was 70 plus. So it's kind of interesting when, you know, this... The people that live there, you know, I had a lot in common with them because we both wore diapers. And, <laughs> and so <laughs> I want to catch hell for that. But for me, um, you know, it was, a, it was the neat, uh, what's the word, you know, the Johnsons and, and the typical growing up deal, the Stepford sure. Wives and, and everything was peaceful, no crime, ride your bike, stay out till dark and go home. And, and, and all those stories that people hear, the your typical middle upper class income. What family. was your favorite? television show to watch as a child man i never when the simpsons came out oh. i think i was eight. Oh yeah it was it 88 or something they came out 89 something i remember i got into that and my mom was like you can't oh, watch this oh yeah when yeah. when bart simpson said hell and damn yeah that was it shutting it down Bart. H- oh yeah get the belt can't stop me mama i'm <laughs> gonna watch I watch what i want remember danger mouse Danger. I don't. What no. is that? Danger Mouse. The money is basically your dog, Larry, the little the little rat dog. Uh, and I mean you. that lovingly. How you dare know, you. I mean that lovingly. He would uh, he'd turn into a superhero, and so this Danger little mouse, mouse could do Superman stuff. Yeah, know? I was big into Ghostbusters. You must have had cable or something. No, <laughs> we actually stole cable, and, and every time <laughs> the cable guy would come on the block, yeah. you're like. One of us would yell, it's the cable guy. And we all run in there and turn it off. Yeah. Because remember, there was those commercials. Are you stealing cable? You stealing cable. You could be sentenced to 10 years in the penitentiary. We don't want to go to jail for 10 years. Um, But we took a chance. Isn't it funny? Our parents, yeah, they always knew people that uh, got in trouble, but it was never them for doing the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) Okay. Sorry to make them up. Yeah. So anyhow. Yeah. TV shows, you know, cartoons. Love it. What? uh, Where were we going? Growing up, God, Catholic. Um, So anyhow, uh, with that, you know, I went to high school. Uh, You know, for me, uh, one of the things that was probably different than most kids, I was, uh, was 18. I had a son born. So a little high school surprise, senior year. And, Uh uh, you know, his mother ended up, she got married and uh, moved out to Colorado. So I really didn't get to be a part of Hunter's life, um, you know, early on. I wasn't Mm -hmm. really in his life till five or six and well, I guess he was almost going on seven now that I think about it. Um, but you know, and I don't want to blame anybody else for my own decisions. You know, at the time I was a scared young child and, and I had college dangling in front of me and, and what greater thing for an 18 year old to not deal with life than to, to run off and hide at college. Yeah. So that's what I chose to do. What and, was uh, the feeling like when you found out she was pregnant? Oh, well, it was one of those things where you, we had broken up. And uh, so all of a sudden, you know, you see each other at school and then like a month or two later, you start noticing she's got a little bit of a beer belly, but Kim doesn't drink beer. And, uh, you know, and and she tried to hide it. And it was about month four when (laughs) finally got to like, all right, we need to go to the doctor and figure out. Yeah. And uh, so that's what we found out. I I don't think I've ever been so scared in my life. Sure. 
And what was it like to fail at the true love weights, um, saving yourself for marriage contest? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> right. I didn't win that or the most successful, most likely to succeed. <laughs> All right, sorry. I didn't say it what. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't That's a big second. deal, though, man. Huge deal. Yeah. You know, I, I remember getting the phone call. It was like five o'clock in the morning. Her mom called the house and uh, it was, hey, Kim's having a baby. And, uh, you know, I rushed myself to the hospital, Memorial Hospital there in Jacksonville. Mm. The, I don't recommend being born or dying there. It's something, you know, but. It's, uh, you know, where she was and, uh, you know, we're in the waiting room. We had had a family picked out and we talked about adoption. Um, but you know, she wanted to keep Hunter and, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I was a scared little 18 year old. Like I said, and you know, hindsight, it's tough to, to not have regrets over that. Sure. You know, Hunter and I, I shoot, I'm 41 now. He's 22. He's in the Navy on a submarine in Hawaii, which awesome you know what 20 something year old wouldn't want to be stuck in hawaii during covid especially in the navy and uh we're just you know now trying to get into each other's lives you know and so that's that's a it's a lot of pain there but i'm so blessed that you know he reaches out to me and we're talking and and his mother and i always had a good relationship nice um so you know there's that and then uh you know but i went to college and uh that was kind of where the whole drug thing started you know my first drink was at 17 and i loved it from day one mm. and we we me and my buddy snuck out on the golf course with some of the parents liquor and vodka and and juice concentrate which is god awful did the minute made and and that's the thing that's right the minute made uh the concentrate stuff you pour yeah. it in gallons of water and here we are using this chaser and no matter how sick I got, the love for that feeling was more powerful than how sick I was. Yeah. And I just wanted it all over again. You were chasing and, that first, uh, first yeah. night. Yeah, for, first you know, experience. that tells me I was born into this world as an alcoholic. There's a, there's a question of, do you become an alcoholic or is it just bad habits or whatnot? And there's lots of different programs out there that address it. And I, I don't promote one or the other. I have a program of recovery that I, I take advantage of. Um, it's, it's taught me a lifestyle that saved my life and helps me be a better person. Sure. But the long and short is I was born an alcoholic. I can speak for me because I remember being four and five years old when dad would give me a sip of his foam off the beer and I loved it. I remember because my father was retired when I was born. You know, he's Mm -hmm. back then you're 50 something years old. You can drive around with an open container back in the, you know, the eighties and so I always remember him popping that beer and I'd suck the foam off the top of it. Loved it. So, my yeah. first beer experience, well, I guess you wouldn't call it beer, but my dad let me have one of his Zimas. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I think I asked you if you put your your pinky out while you yeah. drank it. <laughs> Listen, man, I was the man. I was sitting on that couch. Your like, dad was drinking Zima? I think one of his ladies was drinking Zima. Yeah. Yeah, my dad's a bit of a Rolling Stone. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, I had a Zima, and I I felt like the man. And then also the Mad Dog 2020. Oh, the Kool-Aid. The Kool-Aid of the ghetto. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you grew up in Palm Beach. I grew up in Arlington. Oh, yeah, Arlington. That's why you have more tattoos than I do. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so bad, the stereotypes. Um. (laughs) I forgot you you grew up in Arlington. Yeah, man. Back in the 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's rough in those streets. You got actually that's all we knew, so we didn't know it was that rough. It was that rough. Yeah. Explosive customs. That's right, baby. What's up? Lower at a car club. So yeah, for me, you know, it was that. It was that first that chasing it and 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 you know, I wanted it again, but you know, five years old, six years old, it's you know, I'm not going around jonesing for it, but yeah. I just remember it. That's remember that's so crazy it, that, that you you remember that taste and, and remember. Beer's disgusting, it. right? Nobody yeah. likes beer. Who who First has a beer and goes, my God, I've been missing this. Right. You know, it's, and, uh, but yeah, 17 after that, man, gloves are off. Whenever we could have a party, I couldn't wait. I didn't care. I got along with everybody. I was the chameleon, you know, and that's part of my addiction. That's, that is an alcoholic through and through. When I was already living my life through my character defects and feeling comfortable in my misery. And there's a difference. I wasn't comfortable in my misery. I was complacent. Mm. So there's a fine line between comfortable and complacent. And, uh, you know, I was complacent. I didn't know how to use my, my community. I wanted to be liked by everybody. And I felt like I had to be accepted. And, 
And it was just a big struggle for me. I, I don't know where that came from. You know, those are things that I'm working on. I have some ideas mm-hmm. and, and I, I don't do that on my own anymore. I have a therapist and, you know, I go talk to people smarter than myself. And so trying to work through those things, but uh, not to get bogged down in the weeds, but <clears throat> did you say in the weed or in the, the weed? weed? <laughs> <laughs> More about drugs. <laughs> hey, you know, that was also it, right? You know, and, and just trying different things and having fun and being part of the gang. But for me, it was so much more after that being accepted for finally, I didn't crave the acceptance. I craved the drug or the alcohol because it finally quieted down the pain and the suffering that was going on in my head. I didn't care if I was accepted because just by being drunk mad, I was the fun guy that everybody liked to be around. The goofball is willing to push the envelope, go to the edge, do the crazy, stupid, goofy stuff. I mean, I I can't tell you <laughs> where to begin on the amazing thing. There's no way I should be here. Right. And uh, so for me, it, w- it was different, and, and it, it filled that void, that hole. Yeah. And that was the thing. I, I'd never filled that hole in the beginning with God. You know, a lot of people get to do that, and a lot of people choose to do that. My path was a different path, and I'm okay with it. I, I Honestly, I don't regret it because I wouldn't be here today if I didn't go through the, 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 the fine line of hell that I did. Right. Um, but... God, it just led to some stupid goofy. Well, you know, I go off to college. Tell us. So some now, goofy yeah, stuff. shoot. I, I grew up with two parents that were retired at home all the time. I could never get into trouble. The most we could do is go out into the woods when they were playing golf and go find some fire ant pits and burn them with WD forty and doing every other thirteen year old does. And some nudie mags. And some yeah, go out in the woods, find some nudie well, mags. Why are nudie mags always in the woods? Well, I Isn't grew up creepy? behind a church. Now oh. why are nudie mags in the woods, right? Were they really back there? <laughs> yeah. Man, it's so a crazy church. how everybody has that story. Thing. We used to build forts behind uh, two churches, one uh Christ Church and uh Our Lady Star. One was a Catholic, one was Episcopal, so they're basically the same. Yeah. <laughs> we get shot for that. Except for the Catholics say, Well, women can't be priests. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was always nudie mags in the woods. That's, That's so weird. As we got older, it turned into condoms. Then we just, you know. we You should have slipped like a, a card in there. It said, God is watching. <laughs> <laughs> when it wouldn't flip it I open. wonder, yeah, scare the priest. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. But, um, oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, stories. I could never get in trouble. You know, yeah. I had parents at home all the time. And so we never really did. But, gosh, when I went off to college, man, the uh, time's up. When I went off, is it uh, time for your diabetic shot? It's probably time for some medication. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry I, uh, about that. No. I. Uh, it was freedom. I got to go and be anyone I wanted to be. My whole entire history was erased. I could start all over as Matt. You know, I didn't have to have the the sun and the burden and, and all these awful things I would think that because I, I looked at myself as my entire up to the age of 18 when I went to college. All that was erroneous. None of it mattered. Yeah. I didn't matter. I want to get rid of that mat and recreate myself, rebrand myself, sure. be the cool guy that people like. I, you know, I don't know what it was I was chasing, the acceptance, I guess. Right. And so I went off to college and, you know, did the typical thing, you know, the join the fraternity, the fraternity parties and this and that. I just remember, though, visiting Stetson University, August. Um, it was, you know what it was? It was the summer before we had to choose our colleges. So it would have been my junior year. Anyhow, my point is, is that before I decided college, I went to Stetson and just to do a visit. And so you go spend a a night or two there and you do visits and you go to different seminars that tell you about Stetson to help what you rich kids, you know, right. Well, we we go to community college. (laughs) Is that what they call? They call yours the bus stop. We call them seminars. We call it (laughs) beach Boulevard university. I'm going to get my butt kicked. (laughs) And uh, I, I'm humble, I promise. Just yeah. ask me. <laughs> well, you know, the I knew that was the place for me because the first night we're there, all the little student ambassadors are telling who they think the cool kids are. Hey, there's going to be a party tonight. And so the fraternities, they're already there. Those kids are already there. So they're throwing these parties the first night. And, man, I was up till 4 a.m. I was the last man up at a fraternity party. And still drinking on the keg until it was gone. You're like, I'm going to kill this. And yeah, yeah, like that was, Where I were couldn't your get enough. Now this was it. So they just did a kid's trip only. Ah. So my dad gave me the car. I drove down to Stetson to go check it out. Students, well, they know what they're doing. They're sure. going to give a party the first night and then you're hooked. And then your parents are writing a $40,000 check. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had a great education. Stetson's an amazing school. It's wonderful. I, I got a lot out of it, but... 
for me at the time, my decision was based on pure ego. Sure. You know, there was alcohol, there was girls, there were, there were guys that were cool and fun, and, and it was Animal House. They literally had an Animal House. Yeah. And so that was the party. And, uh, you know, so of course I come back and I say, yeah, Stetson's the place. My dad was happy because he knows it's, you know, we, <laughs> we joke and call it Harvard of the South. And, uh, That's Har- what I call my college. Harvard on the Halifax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, Florida's first university, a private university, I 1905, I think. It's uh, it's in a book. Read it. Yeah, I don't read books. <laughs> yeah, as we sit here in front of your, how many books do you have? I have five hundred and seventy-three. That's it. No, well, I have more in the closet, and uh, I have to... more in the woods. Yeah, <laughs> right. Those in the woods. So I had a blast at college, but I was the party guy, you know, and 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 alcohol was a big part of my life. I, you know. Thank God I have my fraternity brothers that kept me on the straight and narrow, which it's sad when you can say your fraternity brothers are helping you get through college, you know you're on the wrong end of the bottle. <laughs> yeah. And uh, But they did. They kept me straight enough to get to class and whatnot. But I got the stupid stuff alcohol would lead to. What's the stupidest thing you and did in college? <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is this small little nudity incident. <laughs> Where I like when stories start off with so, small little nudity, instances. and it you know I, it, huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know Stetson's a small college in a small small town to land, so there's not much going on other than college. I mean, we'd have we'd have bands and and you know we had uh, concerts come to college, and all the townies would come because yeah, there's nothing else going sure. on. It's not like you're in you know New York City going right. to NYU where there's tons of stuff going on. So. So we get to the final. Intramural sports are huge at Stetson because we don't have a lot. Of, we don't have football, and but we have pretty good basketball team, decent baseball, but really, you know, no spectator sports per se mm-hmm. that a, a college really draws. And <laughs> so softball was a big thing. We get to your intramural sports. We get to the championship game. And uh, so we're all there. I'm not playing. I'm on the sideline drinking like we all should be, right? <laughs> And so there's about 1,500 people at this game because, you know, we got people with kids, got families there. It's the thing to do is go to the championship intramural game, whether it's soccer or softball or whatever. It's a blast. It's good for fun, family, friends, and nudity, apparently. (laughs) I forgot this story involves nudity. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sitting there. One of my fraternity brothers comes over to me, and and Matt will do anything, right? You know, and and so he says, I, you know, you're not going to go run those bases naked. I, you know, we're. 20 years ago, he dared me. He dares me to run the bases naked. <laughs> so I take my shirt off. I go jogging over to home base with nothing but my shorts on. And those come off. And I, oh, by the way, yeah, I stuck a, a Natty Light 12 pack box on my head so I could see through the handles. Proud but sponsor that of God Drugs Lab. At Light. least no one would know it's me because let's be honest, it was a cold winter night. You know, <laughs> I'm Irish. It's like a button on a fur coat. There's no identities there at all. But. <laughs> So Is I go and I jog. Run? I don't run. I jog these bases naked. And man, what a mix of of there's families there with kids. People screaming. You know, ah. oh my how I didn't get kicked out of college, I don't know. But my fraternity was pissed. Everybody's pissed. And <laughs> man, and I, you know, it didn't matter because I just wanted to chase acceptance and I was willing to do anything. Yeah. And alcohol made me invincible. It numbed me from from the self hate and and the and the downness that you know it numbed me from my ego. Yeah, it's weird that um, you know those of us who are alcoholics addicts that it's this weird dichotomy of ego but self doubt. You know what I mean? Sure. It's, it seems like that's a that's right. a common thing when it comes to. Well, my ego is different. I identify my ego as anything not spiritual in nature. So I say that I, I am a spiritual being having a human experience. Okay. And and so for me, the ego is anything earthly. So if I have self-doubt and self-hate and down-talking myself, most people think ego, right? They think, oh, I'm the big bad, you know, right. egotistical guy, narcissism. Well, not necessarily. You know, ego is, for me, it's anything that isn't, a high vibration, a, a spiritual path. And so my ego wasn't the cocky, arrogant guy that we tend to think of. <clears throat> Mine was the, the, the self-hate, the self, mm-hmm. like you said, the, the doubt. And yeah. The, the acronym that I like is edging God out for ego. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
It's a good one. Yep. There's and I can I can relate to that for sure. Yeah, that's a perfect example. So that that was me, you know, when I'd run on my self will and what I thought and you know, but as college got through, the difference was I got through college, I had decent grades, and uh, you know, drinking at graduate, it was always drinking. I didn't know how to function without it. Hmm. I couldn't feel accepted. But once you graduate college, you can't be doing that anymore. Right. It's one thing to party a lot in college, but you start doing that in the real world. So what did I do? I avoided the real world. You know, you have businesses coming to Stetson to recruit. Who do I end up going to work for? Abercrombie and Fitch in Daytona <laughs> Beach. Well, of course I'm going to go work for Abercrombie and sure. Fitch in Daytona Beach. What would Van Wilder do? <laughs> I couldn't stay in school for seven years, so I might as well go work for Abercrombie and Fitch. Yeah. And, you know, suggesting is what they like to do. They like to suggest that there was no fraternization, that there was no drinking, that there was no partying, that they weren't a judgy, you know, <laughs> company. And and so I, I spent another year. I mean, me and two other buddies graduated Stetson. We got a house right there in DeLand. We didn't leave. We basically got our fifth year yeah. by hanging out. We took some BS jobs. And and eventually I, I just I couldn't take the... Uh, and I'm sorry, Abercrombie. I'm I'm sorry that I'm not sorry. I can't. Proud sponsor. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. Drugs I guess we're not getting laughs. that one. They aren't worth anything anymore. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. But I it I couldn't take that. It was such a superficial company, and you know when you have shirts going out with Chinese people on it, and it says two Wongs don't make a white. Whoa! You know, yeah, they got Jeez in trouble for they got sued. Well, they should. That's crazy. I hired a I hired a, a black guy, African American guy, and I got in trouble for it. Are you serious? Yeah, hired an Asian girl, got in trouble for it. They don't. They didn't fit the image, is what I was Jeez. told by my district manager. They don't. Well, fit goodbye, the Abercrombie and Fitch. Dice. So take off your cargo shorts. <laughs> You're 42, by the way. Why do you have cargo <laughs> shorts on? Do you have cargo? Me? No, I have basketball <laughs> shorts on. Not giving up my NBA but, uh, dream you know, just yet. But I lost that job. How do you lose a job at Abercrombie and Fitch? I ended up partying with the people, so we'd close the store right at nine o'clock. The mall closes. Mm -hmm. And if we had an overnight, meaning we had to stay there and redo the store, we had a new front. You have to rearrange a storefront. So I'd buy us all beer and wine, and we'd stay there until 2 in the morning getting hammered, getting nothing done, <laughs> and then open up the store the next day, and the district manager comes in to see that it's all just in disshamble, you know? Oh, and I just blamed it on the, on, on my employee. Well, you won't let me hire good people, so That's excuses. Excuse. It's all excuses. Yeah. My, my life up until I got sober was excuses. Guess where I worked? <laughs> Not where. I was the proud assistant <laughs> manager at Blockbuster Video. Nice. Did you have the back room? No, not at Blockbuster. No, nah, Blockbuster's nah. family. Yeah. But we would get like people. I mean, this is when VHS was a thing, and we would get people that return home videos. If you know oh, what I'm saying? No. Yeah, and so of course I would steal those and take them home. But did you rewind them? Yeah, <laughs> but a lot of times they wouldn't come pick them up because they were embarrassed. Do know? people come pick them up? Sometimes, yeah. And they just, those are the people that look you right in the eye. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> They're great like, great yeah. video. <laughs> You're really talented. <laughs> Did you ever give tips? No. <laughs> I mean, no. No? <laughs> I didn't. But yeah, Blockbuster Video, man. What? Oh, man, that was a rough job. That assistant manager in a blockbuster yeah video. and my that boss just, was like Ugh. you could not do right i mean to be a blockbuster manager you just i think you have to start out angry <laughs> <laughs> and just ready ready to find a reason to write a ticket yeah but hey you know i'm glad that i have that i'm sorry blockbuster man yeah there's one left hi welcome to blockbuster there's still one franchise left it's out in nowhere Middle America, yeah. I forget. I do miss Blockbuster, so I, I like going do into... Do you? Why? <laughs> well, I'm not working there, but I like going into oh. a store and being able to pick my selection. That smell, the blue and the yellow. Right. Yeah. Something about that it. That smell of mold and, <laughs> and, and overweight. And sweat. Overweight. Cheese. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm like... I don't mean to offend anybody. I just make jokes. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> You're fine. We just um, lost half of zero of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So yeah, that was where you know the drinking part you know kept on. So I, I got rid of that job by you know I was a self sabotager. I did right. it with relationships, you know, because I was a scared little child. So I, I did it with everybody, and so I self sabotaged that job, moved on to a real job, and uh, you know I just I had that job for about five years until I just I. And quit showing up one day, and that was a tough one because well, that was a tough one. Yeah, <laughs> five years and just you <laughs> not know, not just on you, right? But on everybody at the company. <laughs> oh. Well, I remember I was at that company. I was doing really well. What was it, by the way? And uh, so it was flooring, commercial okay. flooring sales. And you know, within the first, I moved up to DC, so from Florida, and they said, "Yeah, come up to DC and this and that, and you're gonna do well." Well, I'm up in DC. I'm a small little beach town boy, man. Sure. You throw me in the city, and I was really overwhelmed, intimidated. So I go back to my good old alcohol, Mister Jim Beam, you know, and he gave me the confidence to talk to people. And and so you know, we're in a big city, and and I sound funny, and I look funny, and I well, that goes anywhere, but you know, dress funny, and and so drinking was something I could relate to people. So it just you know, there I was again. You know, yeah. I thought, oh, change, good. I'll, every time I moved or something different would happen, I thought for sure this is what was going to be the thing. You know, yeah. this will be different. Now I can drink the way I want. This will be different. Now I got a real job. Yeah. I can well, do whatever I want. I mean, definitely. I remember having those thoughts. And the thing we fail to realize is that the problem we're taking the problem with us, right? Because <laughs> we yeah. are the problem. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's interesting. I think that's a common yeah. common thought. You know, I moved up there and, 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 and then that was great and they wanted me to come back down to florida because of the way the new company that they were developing in florida so i was up there hiding my drinking enough to get by to keep it to call it social drinking and people just knew me as man matt can handle his liquor he's the irish drinker and he can handle it it was kind of a, a yeah give it to matt matt's good and then i moved down to atlanta and that was the first time i, I spent a night in jail actually. were you drinking every day at this point yeah okay every day um you know, and it was just as soon as that clock hit, it wasn't all day at the time, but I made up for all day. Sure. When five o'clock came, man, I was, I was four beers deep by the time I was getting into the car, you know? Um, but yeah, I remember, you know, just being blackout drunk a lot and it didn't matter how many times I got caught by the police or put in jail or anything like that. You know, it was always swept under the carpet and People wanted to keep Matt safe and not give him a bad rap. And, I, you know, it ended up being more of an enabling thing for me than anything. And I'll yeah. never forget pulling the old Ron White. And this is when the cop threw me in the back of the car is, you know, Ron White does a bit where he gets thrown out. Into the, well, he gets arrested for public intoxication. He says, but I wasn't. I wasn't drunk in public. I was drunk in a bar. I got thrown into public, and that's what happened. I got thrown out of a bar. I'm yeah. walking down the street. Cop pulls me over from walking because I'm actually walking in the street. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I mouthed off to him. Next thing you know, I'm in the back of a car in Georgia. Up Atlanta. in Dalton. Yeah, oh, it was just okay. outside of Atlanta, but yeah. it was Dalton. So, you know, it was me and, and a few other of my Santana compadres because it's um, – how was that, that experience in you know, jail? And that's that's the sad part, man. I just wanted to get out quickly so no one found out. So I made my one phone call to the guy I knew that had access to my bank account, got enough money to bail me out, bails me out, and I was to work by 9.30, and the boss wanted to know why I was a little late. Yeah. And eventually got found out. But, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. I had a rough night. And this, you drinking again? Well, you know... Got to tone down that drinking, Matt. Yeah. Meanwhile, I spent a night in jail. Yeah. And I was thinking, whew, got away with it. Sure. Right? Because it doesn't, I'm a habitual stove toucher. Yeah. Until I hit rock bottom, I, you know, I didn't, it didn't work. But, you know, that job ended up, I'd come back to Florida and they had a stiff talk with me. Hey, man, we're going to be back here, but this whole drinking thing bullshit, that's got to stop. Yeah. You know, you, you, you know, you got to tone it down, man. You can't be drinking every day, all day and this and that. And, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah. Just having a good time. And it just continued till, you know, I had that job for five years and uh, hit home. A lot of people there that ended up being family members through marriage stuff. And, and that's another story. But, you know, I love those people at that company, and I treat them like dirt, like they yeah. didn't matter. And I remember just going down so far of an addiction, not knowing it. I had my best friend uh, and his father 
show up at the office looking for me because I wouldn't answer the phone. And they're like, where have you been, man? We call you. We stop by your house. You disappear. Well, this is when I found cocaine. Mm. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Oh, man. I just wanted to isolate from real people and find some fake people that wanted to think I was interesting because everybody's interesting. The great thing about cocaine is you can do two things on it all day long. One of them's drink and one of them is practice making babies. And I already had one of those, so I didn't want to do that. So I drank. And, uh, you know, that was the thing is I was so selfish. I actually wouldn't have any intimacy with women because I was no way in hell was I going to get another woman pregnant. Sure. Because I don't want any responsibility. I just want to deal with Matt. And, uh, yeah, I just remember it was the only reason I stopped with the cocaine was I was sick of watching the sun go down and come up, go down and come up, go down and come up. Uh, that that just got old. But liquor, that was something that was different. Yeah. I liked seeing the sun come up. Yeah? Go down, come up, go down. Yeah. That was my favorite thing about using. You a rooster? I think is being up at night when nobody else yeah, is awake. I, I love, love that. that. Yeah. Right? Of course we do. Yeah. We Isolation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it eventually happened. You know, I was dating before that started, you know, I, I calmed down a little bit when I found this girl that people at work introduced me to because I was able to keep it quiet. But I mean, I'd be up at till 2 a.m. every night getting, getting hammered. But my point is, is I found a girl and there we are again with something. Oh, good. Now I got the girl. This will be different. Right. And the liquor slows down, the drinking slows down because you got the new love and this and that. But I mean, you know, I love that girl and, and she loved me and we moved in together and and uh, my drinking just got worse, you know, because it just wasn't dealing with the real problem. The drinking's just a symptom, right? We're just trying to cover up something or try to find something or fill a God hole or, or something like that. And uh, <laughs> it just continued to get worse because yeah. I wasn't filling anything. Now, is no this the girl I had? Is this the girl who you say was like your true love? Yeah, I'd say if I were to ever, you know, have loved somebody in the past, it would have been her. Gotcha. Um, her name, you know, I don't know if I should say her name or not, but, you know, her name. What's up, Lisa? Yeah, <laughs> Donzo. <laughs> um, yeah, man, she was the love of my life, and I couldn't, it didn't matter because alcohol was the love of my life. Yeah. I was cheating on her with alcohol. I was cheating on my family with alcohol, everything. I had a great job. I had my boat. I had the property, the land, the the garage, you know, it was all hers, but, you know, I had it through being with her, and, and I still would rather just get shit-faced. Yeah. I remember no matter what, we were going to a cruise. It's 7 in the morning, and I got a drink made. And we're about to get on the cruise with her family, and she asked for a drink. I'm driving, and she asked for a sip of my Coke. She takes a big old sip of it and almost throws up. And and just the look in her eyes, and I just laugh it off, you know. Yeah. And, and was just, that the vodka and the Minute Maid? I, you know, I wasn't a vodka <laughs> Minute Well, <laughs> actually, you know, 7 a.m., man. Jim Beam and Diet Coke, oh, right? Okay. Yeah. Because that's what everybody needs at 6 a.m., yeah. 7 a.m. It's just insanity. It's amazing um but eventually you know she kicked me out i had to move back into my house that i still owned who had a roommate in it and who couldn't stand me anymore and had to move out and it just slowly went downhill and eventually got to the point where i thought it was better to give my house away in foreclosure to get four thousand dollars for cash for keys at some point in my life it was better to hand a house over for four grand yeah that's where it that's was. gonna last forever Feed that that grand. right sure. oh well at 25 dollars a day i did the math and if they aren't gonna foreclose in nine months i could probably ride it with that sure you know? yeah and then what who cares did and you have what? the thing where like you didn't care if you died i was just gonna say there was no and then yet because when you right. have four grand the way out where i was at i didn't care if i lived i didn't care if i die i wanted to die i didn't know how to die because yeah. i wasn't strong enough and and didn't know what to, I, I say strong enough or weak enough. i don't even know how to to talk about it, but I didn't know how to do either one. Sure. And so four grand seemed like a lot because you're right. If you're not planning on living past, you know, 34, 32, then yeah, of course that's yeah. all the money in the world. Go out in a blaze yeah. of glory. That's what I used to call Crazy. it. So, you know, I went to rehab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, good decision. Started filing bankruptcy. My father and uh, a good friend, you know, they did a little miniature intervention. They had keys to my house after work one day. And uh, actually, no, I don't think it was after work. I don't think I was really working. After dicking around doing whatever, mm-hmm. I was coming home and, you know, they were there. And so uh, I knew. I knew I had a problem. 
I didn't want to deal with it, but I knew I had back problems too. And I need to get these people off my back and I didn't want to deal with life. I had nothing going on. The girlfriend, I lost her. I was hoping that if I went to rehab, I'd get her back. Yeah. I was hoping if I went to rehab, I'd get everything back. Right. So I go to rehab and, uh, rehab was the rehab's different. (laughs) It depends on what rehab is different than I remember. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Remember summer camp. Yeah. It's way different. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm at the time, I'm 32, 31, and I'm the old fart. You know, I'm sitting, I'm hanging around with a bunch of kids in rehab. They're 18, 19, 20. I think the next guy was like 28. There were some pilots there. I kind of hung out with them because they were at least 30. Yeah. And, uh, but, um, you know, I spent 30 days in intensive in, inpatient rehab. And, uh, you know, 30 days came out. I learned a lot. And my father, you know, it's time to get out. And, and what does every good rehab do that? is getting paid cash. Hey, you want to stay another 30? Well, sure. You know, and it's not like the casinos, they aren't comping you. Sure. (laughs) So, you know, and, and, and I had zero disregard for, you know, my father, he's spending 30 grand a month or yeah, 30 grand a month. He spent 60 grand, I think on my rehab. Yeah. That's a lot. And I didn't stay sober. Hmm. You know, rehabs don't get you sober. You know, you got to want it. Sure. And, uh, so of course I want to stay there. I could forget about the rest of the world. I'm I'm in rehab. It's easy to stay sober. I liked who I was. I got attention. People were trying to help me and and I felt good and, and it was the best I'd felt in forever because I finally felt safe. Mm. But at the same time, I'm a selfish, arrogant little, you know, crybaby, king baby. And so I was scared. I didn't want to go back out there. So they offered to, you know, hey, you want to stay for another 30? You know, what do you think? Well, sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, what do you guys think? Well, we think it would help you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I ended up spending uh, 60 days in rehab, got out and stayed sober for about, once I figured out that I wasn't going to get Aaron back and all, everything else back, job back, when when I figured out that I still had to deal with life, I just went right back to drinking. Yeah. Because why be sober if you're miserable? Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I didn't last. And that's the secret, right? Is is people think, oh, if I could just stop drinking. Well, sure, that's part of it. Right. But that's not the answer. It yeah. wasn't for me. Yeah, and I think that's the a lot of people obviously who aren't addicts, alcoholics, don't understand that. And it took me forever to realize that as well. You know, that it's not just the substances I'm using, there's a deeper much deeper problem going on. Yeah. That even if I quit using or drinking, that uh, it's still going to be there and mm-hmm. I still have to deal with it. You know? Oh, yeah. You and I both experienced relapse, right? Thank yeah. God we had a recovery in us because I hear people talking all the time and say, look, I, I definitely have a relapse in me, but I don't know if I have another recovery in me. Yeah. And that's yeah. the truth, right? I mean, that was my thing. Yeah. When my <laughs> sponsor and my uh, counselor and my psychiatrists are like, you're going to die pretty soon. <laughs> you got three powerhouses. What? Going we can't <laughs> yeah. Save you. And I'm like, Oh, okay. When? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I won't get into my story yet, but I was welcoming that. Yeah. You were a lot further along than I was. Yeah. <clears throat> I was still too entitled to let go. Sure. You know? Yeah. So how did you come to the point where, Obviously. Yeah, I got out of rehab and and you know spent three months sober. And I say sober, I was dry drunk. You know, I wasn't working a program or or living the way it should be. At all. I mean, I was just staying white knuckled sober, yeah. pounding Doritos, <clears throat> and, drinking oh, Mountain Dews. Man, I gained so much weight. And, just uh, exchange one thing. Yeah, for, for another. another. Exactly. Yeah, just that, that's what I did. And uh, you know, I after that I went right back to drinking and and. And smoking weed and and having you know, it didn't matter. Like I had got another job, my dream job. I stayed sober for another minute. That didn't work. My sister flew down. They knew I was still drinking, and they offered to fly me up and live up in New York and get away from it. What was your dream job? Um, anything that paid me a lot of money and let me drink and leave <laughs> <Okay>. me alone. <laughs> gotcha. Basically, yeah. winning the lotto. Sure. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, I moved up to upstate New York and uh, spent two years up there. And God love my my sister and my brother in law. And you know, they took me in and tried to help me. And uh, what did I do? I repaid them with a, a DUI mm. 
on a night that they were coming home from a ski trip and I was going to be there and I'll never forget it. I, you know, I knew I was already drinking. They were going to be coming home and I was going to be, Oh, I'll get pizza. And when you guys get home, I'll have pizza ready and this and that. And you genuinely thought you were going to do that. I genuinely thought I was going to do these things. I never tried, you know, and that was one thing. Even I went around and made amends to, to most everybody that I can think I've got a few left to do, which is part of the program. I work, um, but long and short, everybody, including Aaron, you know, the girl, uh, it said, Matt, you're, you were never a, a bad person. Like sure. you never did terrible things. You were just unreliable. Uh, I, I, you know, I, 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 my action wasn't there. I was all talk and disappointing and scary. It's scary to watch, you know, and, and, and drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. My God, I would drink and drive around with Hunter in the car. Mm. I mean, awful things. I feel like just a despicable human being. Right. Um, and I get it now more than ever that we're human and, you know, we're going to screw up and the key is forgiveness. And, mm-hmm. and that's truly the key to setting yourself free, not just forgiving others, but yourself. Mm. And, uh, you know, I try to live, you know, amends every day, you know, to be a better person. Um, so when, but, when did it finally click for you? Yeah. So I spent another, I mean, you know, I, so I moved up there, I got a DUI. Uh-huh. I was drinking while I had the the interlock system. I figured out how to beat it. Like nothing <laughs> would keep me from drinking. I yeah. literally figured out how to beat an interlock system that you have to blow into the little box to start your car. And you, we can teach you as well for <laughs> that's five be our next a sponsor. <laughs> the, the unbreakable yeah. the iPhone interlock system. Yeah, yeah. It didn't matter when I got the thing off. I was drinking that night. You know, yeah. as soon as I got that thing off, I was drinking and, and how I didn't kill anybody or get more than one Dewey, I don't know. But uh, eventually I was getting caught up on, I couldn't hide it enough anymore. And then one night I left them a note and I left. I packed all my stuff and just left in the middle of the night and just started driving, turned my phone off. Wait, is this the Colorado trip? No. So that's okay. a different trip. <laughs> you know, I drove almost all the way down, called up a buddy on the way who lived in New Smyrna and he and his family took me in. And I drove, you know, I finally turned my phone on and I told dad and made up some lies, excuses. I can't take the winters. It's too cold. I don't have a good job. I was in radio broadcasting for a little bit. That was fun. Um, But everything resulted in drinking and I I just, I couldn't hide it enough. So I had to relocate. That's what I did. Every few years I'd have to relocate because my drinking would catch up. You know, and I go down to New Smyrna, geographical relocations. I'm in New Smyrna having a blast working for a company that... I could drink, you know, I always gravitated towards jobs that involved drinking and, you know, sales is one of them. New Smyrna, JB's yeah. proud sponsor. Oh, God, drugs. God. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of that there. People saying, God almighty, that's some good cocaine. <laughs> I'm going yeah, there next week, I just by the went way. There. I, I won't ask for oh, the yeah, cocaine. We talked about just that. the fried shrimp. Man. That's that's code. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask for the popcorn shrimp. You'd be so high. Ah, coconut shrimp, baby. Yeah, you know, it's just geographical relocation and new job over and over and over and over again. And I'm such a, a typical story of what most alcoholics' lives look like. You know, there's a difference. I wasn't much into the drugs, per se. I, I had a little scent of cocaine here and there. But, you know, the old joke is that the, the, the drug addicts, they all have cars or uh, but no driver's license. It's the other way around. Is that uh, you know the the Dewey, the the alcoholics is what it was. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. The alcoholics, they all have cars, but no driver's license. And the drug addicts, they all have driver's license, but no cars. Yeah. And so I never really got heavy into the drug scene per se, but the alcohol was what it was for me. So every few years it would catch up, and I have to relocate. And then, uh, you know, eventually uh, living in. I got burned that bridge, got kicked out in New Smyrna. I moved up to Ormond Beach and uh, just continued. And uh, eventually that all came to fruition, and I moved back home uh, on a few years ago. Mm-hmm. With mom, I moved back up here and uh, just couldn't stay. You know, I was getting closer to it. Right. Because at that time it was, Mom, I need help. I finally got honest again, and that's the key to this whole friggin' thing is honesty. You got to be honest with yourself, with others, with God, with whatever, just honesty. Because for me, the second I'm not honest about, hey, how you doing? Good. That'll wear on me. It's sure. just these little pebbles that, you know, the stone and the, the pebble in the shoe, the sand in the shoe that, that eventually you feel it and it wears on you. So, yeah, I moved back up to uh, Jacksonville and um, 
you know, I just, I struggled with getting sober. And then finally I had a real true God night and I was at breakthroughs where we met and, um, shout out breakthroughs. Shout out to breakthroughs. <laughs> um, I'll never forget the best day of your life when I walked into ba- breakthroughs. I did. I know. Um, but no, before that was, you know, I was going to breakthroughs and I still wasn't quite there. What I is breakthroughs? Still, so breakthroughs is my intensive outpatient program where I went Monday through Friday oh, yeah. from nine to noon in the morning. And then on Fridays, I think we were done a little early, but, um, you know, it was every day and it was an accountability and it was going through AA and, and smart and some other programs and, and Trish trying to help people get sober and figure it out and, and understand it's more than this. I met a lot of great people, but I just, man, I still wanted to drink normal. I still wanted to control it. And that's this whole thing for me. Being an alcoholic is about playing God. Yeah. I'm trying to control things. And when I don't, I get frustrated and I have to drink. Pete, repeat, rinse, so on and forth. So I was about to graduate, and here's my self-sabotaging. I was like four or five days before I graduated, and I'll never forget, I was driving, I was sick a little bit, so I was going to go to the doctor, and I was talking to my dad, and it was about three o'clock, and I said, yeah, I'm on my way to the doctor, go figure out this cough, and uh, we hung up the phone, and something just clicked, and I was like, screw it. Yeah. I went right to ABC, got me, now mind you, at the time, I could drink and I only had about 20 days sober or whatever, but I could drink um, close. I was about $24 a day, which was almost a handle. Hmm. I'd handle, <laughs> no pun intended, I'd handle almost a handle every day. And couldn't handle it. And not every day, but <laughs> right. So I had a pretty high tolerance. I bought a fifth of, I'm sorry, I bought a pint. I bought a pint of Jim Beam. And uh, I have to look, I think it was, but it doesn't matter for the intents of the story. Um so I bought nothing compared to what I drink. That was just sure. a, that was a warm up, right? <clears throat> um, and I'll never forget. I poured myself, you know, about I had a little traveler cup, so I poured maybe the equivalent of maybe two shots, three shots in there, and then some diet coke. And I'm driving because that's what I did. I drank and I just drove around because I had nowhere else to be, and it just helped me think and and pretend I was somebody else that I wasn't. And the next thing I know, I'm in. I just come to, <laughs> it's like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. I come to, I'm in a garage, a parking garage in downtown Jacksonville. I'm holding my key fob. I've got my flip-flops, a t-shirt, and some jeans on. It's like 20-something degrees out. Not quite. It's probably 30-something. It was yeah. a cold night. So you had a blackout. I had a blackout. What's a blackout for those who don't know? So for a blackout, is pretty much a, a, a safety mechanism where your brain is you get past the point you get to alcohol poisoning. Yeah. And so your brain in order to preserve itself shuts down and it starts shutting down different parts of it, parts that aren't needed. And Mm -hmm. you know, the last things to shut down are the, the involuntary pulses that make the heart and the lungs and all that stuff work. But memory goes because you don't really need it and it's a protection thing. And so I somehow blacked out and you're still functioning. You're still doing things. Still, Yeah. Walking around. Walking around. Zombie. You, and yeah, you just don't know what you're doing. Don't when know you wake what you're up. Doing. Yeah. So I figured it out, right? I have my keys in my hand. I'm in a parking garage, so I must be going to my car. All right. And it was just weird. I don't know how it happened. So I was, didn't care because I, I felt I wasn't drunk. Like I came too sober. Yeah. And really? I That's knew strange. everything so, so much that later on the cops didn't even believe I was drinking. Because what happened was, I can't find my car. I'm going through this whole parking garage, hitting my key fob, trying to make the horn gop. So there's four garages there. I go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one. I cannot find my car. So I go downstairs of the last garage, and I start walking down the street. I'm stepping over people, sleeping on the sidewalk or whatnot. And, and Jacksonville isn't exactly the best town for you know, skinny little white kid with his, <laughs> you know, looking like Abercrombie, with flip-flops and jeans and total beach rat, right? <laughs> yeah. And... um I see two cops down the way and they make eye contact with me and they knew immediately that I was the guy they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Cause again, I stand out like a sore thumb. So they come up to me and say, Richard O'Rourke. I don't know whether to say yes, <laughs> no. Well, I don't have anything on me. It's all in my car. My wallet's in my car, my driver's license, my, my, uh, my phone. Like I got nothing but car keys. <laughs> I don't know what I was planning on doing. Yeah. 
And they asked me, like, man, yeah, we've been looking for you, dude. Are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. Why? And they're like, what are you doing? I was like, well, <laughs> I had to make up something. I was afraid. So I told my, I had figured I had liquor on my breath. I was like, oh, I just went and had some beers. And they're like, dude, your car, why'd you leave it? And I don't know why, right? right. So I don't know. I, pff, I have no idea. So I'm playing it. And uh, he's like, dude, you parked your car in the middle of Main Street. Jeez. We have witnesses saying you got out and started laughing. An and, incredibly busy street. And, oh, yeah. my God. It's, yeah, they don't call it Main Street. <laughs> it's the Main Street in town, It's y'all. the Main Street. I went over the Main Street Bridge and parked in the middle of three lanes of traffic. And got out and walked away from my car after I'm laughing at everybody. There's the laugh part. <laughs> they smart. saw you laughing. <laughs> oh, yeah. They said, you were cutting it up laughing telling people, come on, fight me if you want. <laughs> I mean, jeez. <laughs> <They're, laughs> yeah. yeah. If anyone goes downtown and knows this, they'll, they'll understand where I park. <laughs> yeah. So I, I come up with, oh, man, I don't know, bro. I, you know, I got over the bridge. And then once I found out what had happened, I could lie. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, my car it started shuddering and this and that, and I've been so frustrated with it, and I, I didn't realize, because there's construction there, I didn't realize I was parked in the middle of the street, and of course, there's no way the guy looked at me. He's like, no, no, you parked in the middle, I don't think you understand. Yeah. It's like parking in the middle of 95. <laughs> sure. And there's no question. And uh, so with that, you know, they call back up, and the, the sergeant comes, and I tell her, you know, I was drinking, and this and that, and I didn't, you know, and I... So long story short, she tells me that I had my gun sitting on my seat. When they found my car, they had it towed. That's why I couldn't find it because it was in the middle of Main Street. <laughs> yeah. So they impounded it. And she said, I ought to arrest you, you know, this and that. I have enough to arrest you. This is crazy. They had found my gun was sitting on the passenger seat. I had my open container, my, my pint, and I had my drink, which I mixed in the center console. Um, Didn't take your drink with you. I guess not, man. And like that's maybe I'm not as good of an alcoholic as I thought. Like that's why I didn't like the blackout. Yeah. And uh, so meanwhile, you know, she's confused because I'm as sober as a bird to her. Right. And they're trying to put this thing together, so they're thinking drugs or whatnot. But you know, cops have been around long enough; they can read people. Yeah. They knew I wasn't lying when I told them. Look, I had a drink, and I don't remember I blacked out, and you know, going on. And uh, I'm sorry. Well. They couldn't really get me, I guess, because I wasn't behind the wheel per se. And then they'd have to round up people to prosecute me. You know, it would just yeah. be a big mess. So she was smart. She um, she was going to let me go. And she said, do you have money to call an Uber? Yes, I did. Well, I knew I was going to call an Uber and get my shit the next day, mm-hmm. stay in a hotel and leave. I was There was no way I was going to face the music of right. my mother and family. But she got smart. She said, you know what? No. Call your mother right now. Here's your cell phone. Yeah. She made me call my mother to come pick me up. You know, 38 years old or whatever yeah. at the time. And, uh, what a smart so, woman. Yeah. You know, came and picked me up. I I got, I didn't get in trouble per se. You know, I didn't legally. Um, I went and picked up my car in the impound lot. Cost me some money. And uh, I, I will never forget. I, I just, at that time, I had a sponsor. And, you know, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't get my car for some days. So I figured I wasn't going to be able to go back to breakthroughs and I yeah. didn't know what to do. And uh, luckily, how did your mom respond? Just so heartbroken. Sure. That's the worst. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I could do anything, but to, to break my son and my mother's hearts are probably the toughest. My dad, too, and my, my sister, they all go together. Right. You know, it's just, uh, especially when I'm just, I don't have that evil side to me there were people that just are vindictive and that's how they live i'm not that way sure you know and uh so yeah that was um well i remember i I called breakthroughs yeah because i remember calling you over and over again you call a lot of people call me a sponsor called me and And uh, i think i knew it i i remember thinking like just call me like oh my god i'm yeah i'm sure you drink i don't care (laughs) i mean how many people really make it their first try yeah I'm on my. Oh, sorry, on my I'm third on my or fourth. Yeah, <laughs> I'm on my 18th try. <laughs> you ain't gonna get better unless you practice. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, man. I, you know, I called up breakthroughs. I was upset and tears, and you know, I begged them to take me back, and they almost didn't graduate me or take me back. And it's not about the graduation. I just want to get help, man. I didn't want to throw that away. I knew that this was the answer to getting sober. Uh, you know, and those people, and you remember me, I was in tears, man, and, and just a mess. Yeah. And I just want to help. And uh, that was my last drunk was, you know, January 12th. Um, 
well, technically January 11th, 12th is my sober date. Yeah. So January 11th, it was a Friday night, uh, 2019. Hell of a Friday night. Man, that was a hell. <laughs> well, no, because everybody says, what the hell, man? You, 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 you drank one night? Yeah. Why not? Dude, if I'm going out, I'm going out for a month, you right. know, a weekend. Sure. But I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And so here's the God part. Uh, when we went and picked up my car, my mother and I picked up my car, they had the exact bottle I bought. My receipt was right there. Everything, my wallet. At the end of the movie, I had consumed about one to one and a half shots of bourbon and blacked out. No drugs, no weed, no pills, no nothing. Mm -hmm. Somehow God decided that he was going to show me that I can truly not even have one. Wow. And I had, I was not a blackout kind of guy. I, I blacked out. I can count how many times I blacked out because people told me, not because I remembered. <laughs> and that is just truly amazing to me. So I, I cannot, I don't have the luxury of wondering if I can have one or two because I know I can't even have one. Yeah. Uh, there's just no earthly explanation of how I blacked out on one drink because it was yeah. all right there. I mean, and that, I mean, obviously it's surrender to God, right? Like, your will, not my will. Yeah. Your way, not my way. This is, I've gotten myself here. So yeah, being God over my life doesn't work very well. But I, th I think it's also for me is I had to come to the point where I had to say, okay, I can never use, uh, take Adderall, you know, like a regular person. No, I can never do I won't. That. Yeah. <laughs> you and, did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I and with you with the drink, you know, yeah. you came to the understanding that okay, I, I know I can never have even one drink, and I feel like that's that's really the beginning of recovery in some ways. You have to give up that obsession, right? Yeah, so, that you're powerless, right? Yeah, yeah. You have to, yeah, get honest, right? I'm powerless, and my life is unmanageable. Now what? I mean, right. I think, uh, oh my gosh, who's the comedian? That has his 12 steps. Uh, oh, I can't think of his name. But basically, you know, your life is screwed up and you have to admit it. Now, that's the hard part. No. The British guy. He's uh, he's recent guy. Oh, my God. I know who you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Anyhow. Katy Perry's ex-husband. Um, yes. That's right. Russell? Russ. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Russell Peters. Russell Brand. Russell Brand. Russell Brand. Yeah, you know, he, he has a good play Shout on it. Shout out to Russell with, Peters, you know, fifth grade teacher. About, <laughs> yeah, he, he talks about different steps and whatnot. And, you know, the hardest part for an alcoholic is to say my life is unmanageable. Because nowadays, is it really? I had a job. I could still make money and live on my own and get by. But my life was a freaking train wreck. Right. And I was I had to fire myself from upper management of my life. Because I was trying to run my life and I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Clearly, I was a train wreck. Yeah, you know, college educated, came from a, a, a fairly affluent family with all the resources, and it didn't matter because alcoholism doesn't discriminate. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, and that's 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 part of the thing that I worry about this world. You know, because there's so much uh, separation out there, and I am grateful that I'm an alcoholic because it has brought me connection. Mm -hmm. The opposite of addiction is connection for me. Yeah. You know, that's and good. now I got crazy friends like you. Hey, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome, man. I mean, you know, your story is powerful. Um, and I know there's a lot more to it that we will get to, you yeah. know, as this podcast goes on and on and on. Well, we got two and a half more hours left. Yeah. So, Good. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Now, but appreciate it, Matt. Like just being open and honest. And yeah, vulnerable. you know, I I try to wing a little bit about myself. I don't know what to say and what's going to help and what's not, but I want people to start to get to know us a little bit more. To yeah, so they can laugh at us more. Yeah, la I mean that's a good thing about us. We're going to laugh at our stories, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, and that's what this podcast is going to be all about: just open, honest discussion. Mm -hmm. Um. And hopefully it's a, a place where, you know, we can have others come on and be open and honest about their struggles and their victories. And we can all just learn from each other. We can laugh at each other. Um, and 
Hopefully, it's a good time. I'm I'm looking at uh, one thing I want to bring up because our viewers aren't viewers yet, but uh, you have a dining at Walt Disney World book. What's the problem? What did they just fill it up with like hundred dollar bills and say go for it? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, that's places you should eat when you go to Disney World. Oh. Disney World, proud sponsor. God <laughs> drugs. Thank you, Michael Eisen. Yeah, but this is great, man. And um, yeah, g- give one piece of advice as we go out. Right now, for today, I'd say don't ever give up. Be tenacious. Yeah, because giving up is just—it's why you gotta. Eventually, you can't give up, right? It eventually comes around. If you give up, you're gonna have to face it in the long run. So, if you just don't give up on yourself and love yourself, because every one of us deserves our own love, then you know. Yeah, that's the key that's for good. today. Thanks for that word, my friend. All right. Well, this has been our first episode. Oh, and don't fart in church. Yeah, that never goes well. (laughs) (laughs) Of God, drugs, laughs. You can check us out on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever else you kids are doing these days. Remember, I may not like you, but I love you. Exactly. (laughs) All right. We love y'all. See you soon. Adios. (laughs) 